Hello, um, I'm doing something different today, which is I'm going to do what I used to call and what David Antin, sort of performance artist stroke poet, used to call a talking piece. That doesn't mean I'm going to be all elaborate and leaping all over the place and doing something very avant-garde. It just means instead of writing a blog, I'm going to talk instead and then transcribe it afterwards with the help of some software. So if you're reading this as an email that has arrived in your inbox and notice it doesn't read in a very writerly way, it is because it is a transcript of me talking rather than something I wrote. And the reason why is I tried writing this as a blog a few times and I got really tired of my own writing style. I got really bored of the kind of pompous, slightly academic, highfalutin tone that I was adopting when I was writing these blogs. So I thought I'd try something different, which is I'm going to just talk my way through the idea instead and record it and post it. I guess it will be more like a mini podcast, if anything. And then I will put a transcription up on the website and that will be it. So today I'm going to talk about The Matrix Resurrections, the latest Matrix film from Lana Wachowski or Wachowski. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. There's been a lot of commentary about this film and a lot of the commentary has centred on whether the film should exist, whether it's gratuitous. And so I thought rather than me just give my hot take on whether I liked the film or not, because actually the most boring form of film criticism is hearing about whether someone liked a film or not or whether they think it's good or bad. Um, I don't think that's interesting. It just doesn't really engage me. I like to think about the thoughts and the ideas and um, the experiences someone had while watching a film, um, how they analyse it, and then like literally keep whether you liked it or not as an addendum. I don't know. I get it. I get it that mainly with criticism we lead from the whether I liked it or not thing, but I just find it more interesting just to engage with something that, yes, whether you took pleasure in it or not is one part of your experience of it, but ultimately... Um, I'm more interested in the experience you had and possibly triangulating it with the experience I had and whether any ideas kind of flowed from your experience of it and whether those ideas chimed with perhaps what the maker was doing. So that was a bit of a weighty academic intro from a guy who said he wasn't going to be all weighty and pompous and highfalutin and academic. So I'm going to talk about my feelings about whether The Matrix Resurrections should exist rather than whether I thought it was good or not. Maybe I'll just save that till the end. So from the commentary that I've I've seen, and that's mainly hot takes on Twitter and YouTube, a lot of it is centred on whether this film should exist or not, or its reasons for existing. And people have been had some interesting hypothetical arguments as to the existence of this film. And I think it's quite interesting in the sense that Lana Wachowski has kind of avoided the interview rounds co-writers who I forgot the name one of them but I know another one is is David Mitchell who wrote Cloud Atlas he's been a bit more vocal about the process of making the film and the ideas with it but as far as Lana Wachowski who I think is the, the big shot really with the writing and the just the, the creation in itself of the film um, she stayed very quiet which I, I find really cool actually so it leaves us to work it all out for ourselves I th so the two theories are I'm going to divide this into two theories. Um, the first theory, and there's a few different flavours of it and a few different arguments for it, is did Lana Wachowski make an intentionally bad film? So that's one that I've seen 
the basis of a few hot takes. I mean, obviously that presupposes the film is bad and I might analyse why we might think the film is bad as well. And then after that, I will look at, is there a reason to carry on the story? So after Matrix Revolutions, which was kind of disappointing, I liked Reloaded, Revolutions not so much, but I have enjoyed it more with subsequent viewings. Even though a lot of the film is people in mech suits firing bullets at um, these kind of hordes of sentinels while going, ah, for about like half the film. Um, so that got quite tedious. But there are still some interesting ideas within the film and the actual plot is interesting as well. One more, one more disclaimer before I get onto the bad film arguments, and that is I really don't care about plot holes in most films. Like I find that the most amateurish vantage point to take when criticising a film is the plot hole detective. Um, if I'm watching a thriller or a, a very plot heavy film, a film that really relies on plot, a bit like a Christopher Nolan film where you're meant to kind of watch it a few times to put the plot together, then I think plot is important. But if a film is dealing more with ideas or mythology or it's just an old fashioned fairy tale or it's just an entertainment, I am not as concerned about plot. I don't mind plot holes at all. I don't mind magical, silly, coincidental things happening in order to move the plot along. So a few theories as to why Lana Wachowski might have made an intentionally bad film. The first theory or the first argument towards it is the meta aspect of Matrix Resurrections, particularly a conversation that happens early on in the film. Oh, by the way, there will be spoilers. I should add that, shouldn't I? I should have said that at the beginning. But there are going to be spoilers, ahoy. OK, so there's a conversation between Neo and the new version of Agent Smith, who's played by Jonathan Groff, who you might know from Mindhunter or from Frozen. Um, he is Kristoff in Frozen. And they're having this very wink-wink, nudge-nudge, meta-conversation. Because in this incarnation of the film, the Matrix trilogy exists, but it, it exists as a video game that has been made by Neo and I guess published with the help of his business partner Smith, who is actually Agent Smith, but kind of he's forgotten he's Agent Smith in the same way that Neo has forgotten he's Neo in this new Matrix. And they have a conversation about how they've had this Smash It trilogy. Um, I think that um, Neo has been working on a game called Binary, which is a different project, you know, maybe a labour of love, maybe a new thing that he wants to put into the world rather than something that's derivative of the old stuff that he used to make. Obviously, binary is all over the place in the film as well. At the very beginning, we talk about the binary choice when the character Bugs, who's played by Jessica Henwick, offers the red pill to the new Morpheus, who's played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. And he says, like, is that some kind of choice? And then she says, no, it's not a choice. I knew which one I would take, actually. And I was talking all about rejecting binary things. And, and in some ways in the film, Jessica Henwick, Henwick's character Bugs is is sort of, even though they're referred to as a she, they are very much kind of visually presented as a non-binary person as well. So, you know, binary, non-binary, I guess that's me going off on one on a tangent there. So he's working on this project, but all of a sudden he has this big conversation with Smith and Warner Brothers have been on the phone. This is where very wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And they say they need another Matrix. And if they don't make this Matrix, they'll get some other hack to make the Matrix instead. 
and they will also stop supporting and funding the new Labour of Love project, Binary. So they're sort of strong-armed into brainstorming and devising a new Matrix video game. And this is seen as Exhibit A by a lot of people, that actually this really happened, and that she was strong-armed into making it. Lily Wachowski, other Wachowski sister, she decided she didn't want any of it and she's kind of taken a bit of a step back. I mean, I think season two of Sense8 was all Lana rather than both of them as well. And so, yes, a lot of people say this really happened and it probably did really happen. And according to David Mitchell, at least in some of the interviews that happened afterwards, yes, Wachowski was strong armed or pushed, let's say, in a very similar fashion into making the new Matrix film. So that could be Exhibit A to say it didn't really need to exist because the Wachowskis probably would have let it lie if they weren't kind of nudged towards doing it because of being presented with a choice, <laughs> with a binary, with a binary choice of make the new film or someone else makes it and we, we defund everything that you're doing. So I understand that. While it's an argument for why the film exists, does it mean that Lana Wachowski made an intentionally bad film? Now, rather than talking about the film sort of generally being good or bad, I'll look at what people zoom in on about the film when they argue about it being intentionally bad. And the first thing they think about is the action scenes. And the action scenes in Matrix Resurrections are, I think, without a doubt, not as good as the action scenes in the original Matrix trilogy. And I think there are plenty of reasons for this that aren't that hard to find out. Firstly, there was no second unit. So Lana Wachowski directed all the action scenes herself with a bit of assistance from the man who plays Carrie Ann Moss's husband in Matrix Resurrections. I've forgotten his name. He plays Chad. <laughs> and he's also um, the director of the John Wick films. He helped out and someone else helped out. Now, that's the first big difference as far as the action scenes are concerned, because in the original Matrix trilogy, and I've forgotten the name of the gentleman that did a lot of the choreography, but it was a, a proper Hong Kong fight choreographer. And I think people make a, a big thing about how kind of um, groundbreaking the Matrix was as a film. But anyone who was watching lots of Hong Kong action films at the time, the action in the Matrix wasn't as new as people thought it was. The, the way it was shot with a wider sort of focus, longer shots and um, fewer cutaways and the choreography and the wire work, all of that's Hong Kong. Now the bullet time, which really didn't make up that much of the action scenes, that was kind of new. But everything else wasn't that different, wasn't that new. It was stuff that we've seen. If anyone had been watching Hong Kong cinema before The Matrix, throughout the 90s at least, and, and the 80s, um, a lot of those techniques, a lot of that style of the fight scenes, that was already around. It wasn't a big surprise. It was just the first time someone had done it that well in um, a Western mainstream science fiction movie. There's lots of cutting before blows make impact. The, the camera's much more zoomed in. The editing is much more choppy. And it is a lot more like the typical kind of action scenes that you'll find in TV shows and films um, for Western audiences. So in that sense, I, I even though I don't know whether Lana chose to do the, the fight scenes herself because she might have been constrained by the pandemic, like getting people from Hong Kong to do the fight scenes. Maybe that was a factor. I don't know. 
But I think ultimately the fight scenes compared to the original trilogy were what you could call bad. They weren't as good. And I don't necessarily think that was intentional. Okay. So that's number one. That's me pronouncing my judgment that the fight scenes were unintentionally not as good as the fight scenes in the original Matrix trilogy. Um, there's also the whole aspect that um, Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves, um, some of the actors, aren't as young. I'm, I'm sure they're still 10 times as physically fit as I am. Um, and of course, we can say, well, you know, Keanu's in the John Wick films and he's really good in the fight scenes in John Wick. I would say for John Wick films, the kind of action which is much more punchy, punching, firing guns, he's not doing big stretchy leg kicks or leaping up in the air and doing these acrobatics. It's much more probably Keanu, who's, who's no doubt, again, 50,000 times as physically fit as I am. And I'm probably about sort of at least 10 years younger than him. Um, but I think that's more tailored to what he can do. And I found that a lot of the scenes, the fight scenes, when Keanu wasn't just doing this weird force push thing. Sorry, I literally knocked something over on my table while doing a force push with my hands. So when he's not doing this force push thing, I think um, it's much more of those crunchy, punchy fight scenes that are more from John Wick films rather than what we saw Neo doing in the previous Matrix films. So yeah, not intentionally as good. Oh yeah, I wanted to say one more thing because I've noticed that there wasn't a rave scene in this Matrix film and I know Lana Wachowski loves her rave scenes and I hate rave scenes in films. Whenever I see a rave scene in the film, I do kind of feel like I want to be um, part of that crowd, but with a gas mask and a canister full of some kind of nerve agent. Normally, I just find them really obnoxious and annoying. I just don't like raves. I think that's it's me. It's my introvert kind of mindset. Um, that said, I did notice that there was no rave scene, but the punch up that happens near the end of the film, which is in the excellently named Simulate coffee shop, um, it cuts to wider, slow shots of people fighting. And even though people are fighting, it kind of looks like the rave scenes in The Matrix. And I thought that was interesting, but it kind of, it was meant to be a fight scene, but everyone kind of looked like they were raving. Um, and again, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that was something I caught on my second viewing. I, I didn't go to the cinema twice, people. I um, VPN, HBO, Max, you know, I paid for it but I wasn't completely honest in the way I paid for and watched the film. Okay, so yeah, fight scenes, I think not not as good as the original fight scenes, but not intentionally. Um, so was there any aspect that maybe is intentionally bad? Well, again, I don't know if bad is the term. So the first half hour of the film and the early scenes in The Matrix and even the kind of action scene that happens in the office block that Thomas Anderson or Neo works in, um, I think those scenes do have a certain cheaper look to them. And it's interesting. So the commentary that other people have said about these scenes is it looks a bit like TV. But when we say TV, like TV looks better today than it used to. Like if you said something looks like TV in the 60s, 70s, 80s or even 90s, um, TV definitely looked very different to film. But from the sort of, I guess, the 90s onwards, TV became more cinematic, especially during the 2000s. But at the same time, I have to say, so TV production values are a lot better now than they used to be. And they are much closer to cinema. Like Game of Thrones and stuff looks very cinematic. But um, at the same time, I know what I mean about this aesthetic. It looks like, some people said it looks like the CW... Arrowverse, um, DC Comics, TV shows, 
um, like Supergirl and Arrow. And then other people, and I think this is this is the one, said it looks kind of like a Netflix movie. Not like the auteur Netflix movies like The Irishman or Roma, but more of a star vehicles that Netflix do, like, like Project Power, the one with Jamie Foxx, or the one that they did with Charlize Theron. I've forgotten the name of that one. But they kind of do these sort of action films, sort of comedy films, and they're Netflix originals. And there is a certain Netflixy aesthetic to them. They don't quite look cinematic. I don't know if it's the digital video, the lighting, the editing. I'm not sure what it is, but there's a look that they have. That's all I can say. Yeah, so the, a lot of the scenes in this have that look. They do have that that kind of weird Netflixy movie sheen. Particularly, there's one scene in a toilet, in a bathroom, in a washroom, because it's America. And it's in the office block, and it's when Neo comes into contact with the new version of Morpheus. He turns out to be, for some reason, the cross between Morpheus and Agent Smith. And he was actually kind of created as a programme by Neo. Anyway, they end up meeting in a, a toilet. Um, not in a toilet. If you're American, if I say in a toilet, people know what I mean if they're from Britain. But an American would think they're literally there in the toilet bowl, kind of swimming in the water together, you know. Um, maybe maybe in the next film so they're in a in a restroom in a public bathroom and they meet up and i have to say the aesthetic of that scene reminded me of an episode of curb your enthusiasm like there's always these public restroom moments with um larry david and uh where he'll do something or he'll get annoyed about something and maybe it's because of how keanu is acting in this scene as well where he's kind of having a bit of a panic attack but it looks like that. And then it leads into this action scene that doesn't completely kind of shake off that curb your enthusiasmness, even though it becomes much more cinematic and there's slow motion and explosions. You have to compare it to the look of the original Matrix, which is kind of, you know, which is meant to be another version of the Matrix. This is a new rebooted version of the Matrix program itself. And it looks more noirish, sumptuous and cinematic in the original Matrix films but in this one it has that kind of weird naff TV quality but it does turn out that this is a new version of the Matrix and the kind of naffness is factored into it it's almost like people don't want to live in this sumptuous Matrixy world they want to live in something that's a bit more disappointing and so something that looks a bit more like a typical TV series looks today it kind of makes sense and again this might be because she is working with different people but the original Matrix film cost less even adjusted for inflation than this one did so i think it's intentional i think the film looks better as it goes on and in the final scene when the the actual action actually looks, is really good when there's a final scene when everyone in the matrix goes into what's called horde mode which i guess is some analog for council culture and people are literally jumping out of windows to land on neo and trinity who was renamed tiffany i'll get to that in a second in this film before realising she is Trinity. But they're trying to escape and literally people are just flying at them like this horde of zo digital zombies. I think the aesthetic decision to look cheaper and less cinematic than the previous Matrix is intentional because I think that that reflects things about today's society and the kind of fakeness that they wanted to project about the world that Neo is now trapped in again. Okay, so that was my answer. <laughs> Very quick answer. Did she make an intentionally bad film? I think, yes, to the degree that The Matrix is meant to look cheaper, the actual Matrix itself, the world of The Matrix, the simulation, 
yes, I think that's intentional, but I don't think that's necessarily meaning the film is bad. It's just that that particular cheap aesthetic, I think, was intentional. The action scenes, unintentionally, not as good. That's what I think. So the second bit of this argument that I finally got round to is, um, does the story need to carry on? Now, we already accept that she was probably pushed into making this story, but once she was pushed, was there something to say to carry on from it? And I think there was. In the sense that the original Matrix trilogy ends on a compromise. Um, the compromise is based on the fact that ultimately the, the trilogy ends because Neo um, makes a deal with the machines because Agent Smith, as played by Hugo Weaving in the original trilogy, he's like a rogue program and he's infected the whole Matrix and he's messing everything up. And so the machines need to get rid of him. Um, they don't want to shut the whole Matrix down. I can't remember. There's whatever reason they, they need to get rid of him. And so Keanu... Neo offers a compromise. He's already blinded by then Trinity has died and he says he says that I can go in, give you the chance to destroy Smith, and then and then in return you don't destroy Zion and anyone who wants to leave the Matrix, you let them leave. Everyone else who's plugged in, all the blue pillars, you still get the blue pillars. So that's the kind of compromise that's made. And so what happens is he sacrifices himself because when he allows Agent Smith, who's taken over everyone, to kind of take him over and become Neo, that's when the machines are able to kind of, I don't know, just blast, just basically fry Neo's body with a massive vault of electricity and that manages to kill all the Agent Smiths and then they can reboot the Matrix, I guess, without killing all of the people that are still hooked up to it, who are supplying energy to the machines. I think that's basically the gist of it. But ultimately, there's a compromise. The humans don't defeat the machines. There's no glorious victory. It's it's just that Neo makes a sacrifice and a compromise. And it's that compromise that allows the humans and the machines to coexist. So that's the compromise. Now, obviously, if we look at the films as allegorical, I think the Matrix films are equally communist, socialist almost in some ways as they are an LGBT allegory. So in the more left-wing sense, I think it's interesting because it's often an analogue for the politics that we have today, which is we seem to fluctuate between full-on right-wing governments and then quite disappointing liberal centrist ones. Um, and there's often a point where, with Trump and whoever, um, and perhaps now with Boris Johnson, where we become less idealistic and we accept the alternative of the compromise so i think that's kind of reflected there so that is the kind of thing where where you know again um, if you love the tories if you love trump or whatever fair enough you won't agree with me in this but i'm talking about possibly from the political subtext that lana Bukowski is coming from lana's arguing for a kind of compromise now the compromise is also there from the lgbt perspective of the films particularly with the films as an allegory for um, gender dysphoria um, and transness now I won't go into this too much there's a great blog by um, Jennifer Harrison or Genetic Gen about it and there's also a very good video essay by Sarah Zelig and Sophie from Mars as well on YouTube um, and that's a collaborative video where they talk about the Matrix sequels and they go into lots of detail about about ultimately the trans allegoriness of the Matrix, in the sense that um, Neo and Trinity are a gay couple, a lesbian couple, and Neo is a trans woman, and 
Trinity is a cis woman. And that's sort of, I won't go into all the details, but from reading those blogs and from watching those videos, I think it makes sense, actually. It does make sense, even in the way that Neo dresses and stuff like that and the kind of culture that it borrows from. It's the kind of thing that a cis male like me wouldn't notice. But once someone kind of explains to me, I kind of go, oh, yeah. What, what does the compromise mean from that perspective, from an LGBT perspective? It kind of means you let us get on with our lives. You're no longer prosecuting us. You're no longer throwing us in jail. You're no longer kind of actively seeking to destroy us. Um, we don't get in your business too much either. You carry on with your cishet society, but we end up with our own spaces where we can be safe, I guess is the, the kind of thing. So it's almost like we hide away from you to a certain extent um but you tolerate us um so yeah it ends on a note of tolerance you could say now i'm sorry to bring up slavoj zizek because a lot of people don't like him <laughs> but but he made an interesting point which is about tolerance which is no one ever fought for tolerance martin luther king never used for the word tolerance in a single one of his speeches tolerance is just this kind of begrudging thing and when we're arguing for our rights, we're not arguing to be tolerated. We're arguing because that's how we want to live. And so when we look at how Resurrections kind of paints things, and again, I've said there's spoilers, it kind of ends not only with Trinity no longer being Tiffany, this kind of cishet woman with a family and a husband called Chad, who's also the actor who directed the John Wick films and was also um, Neo's stunt double in the original Matrix. Also, the man who stands in for Neo... So Neo kind of sees himself as Keanu Reeves in this Matrix, but his actual physical appearance is this slightly older looking man who is actually played by Carrie Ann Moss's real life husband, who is actually younger than Keanu Reeves as well. So um, ultimately they find each other again. But I think there's a certain tone at the end of this film where it's no longer about compromise. And so they're kind of in control. They can both fly now. It's, firstly, it's kind of actually Trinity who saves Neo by being able to fly and Neo's not able to fly. But it's almost like Trinity getting her mojo back allows Neo to get his mojo back too. And they both seem to be very powerful beings. And then um, another character called The Analyst, who's played by Neil Patrick Harris, who is perhaps the person who's forcing gay people to integrate. Maybe that's what he... Rather than being a straight-out fascist figure like Agent Smith... He's more of a kind of a concern troll, like the caring person. Um, but anyway, he's no longer in troll. He's lost his power. And he says to Neo and Trinity, um, do what you want. Paint the sky with rainbows for, for all I care. And they say something like, oh, that's a good idea. And off they go flying. And so I think ultimately, from that perspective, the film ends on a note where it says we're not going to compromise anymore. We are going to be visible and we are going to make an impact on the world that you live in. And sharing is no longer going to be a case of us kind of being tolerated. It's no longer going to be a case of us retreating to our spaces. And of course, this comes probably from Lana Wachowski because of the whole trans rights issue thing that is happening right now. And how kind of, I guess, how outwardly acceptable anti-trans sentiment has become but certainly it's kind of the, the way that there's an attack on trans rights that comes from something that purports itself to be women's rights i don't agree with that i don't have time to kind of go through all my reasons why i don't agree with that but looking at lana wakowski's motivations she's doing this because um i think of that i think trans people are once again having to argue for their own existence they're not being tolerated their right to self-identify and exist peacefully is being challenged and the kind of horrible nasty transphobia 
um, but I often see in my own social media feeds that I don't look at as much and in sometimes in casual conversation from other people um, it is there and it is disgusting and I can see why Lana Wachowski wanted to make this film from that perspective about that perspective of no longer wanting something that was about a trans allegory to be about compromise anymore um, it's going to be more about no we're here up yours so there we go. That's my argument for why I think the Matrix Resurrections should exist, which is I actually believe that that whole thing about Warner Brothers forcing them to do it or giving them that choice that isn't really a choice, I think that's true. I think some aspects of the um, production are intentionally cheap looking and others aren't, such as the fight scenes. And ultimately, the climate, the social and political climate of today's day and age, I think made room for um, her to rewrite the story that doesn't end on a sense of compromise. And by the way, yes, this is an interesting thing. I, I, one more detail that I didn't really talk about, which is um, I liked the way allies are portrayed in the film, which is there are some machines, mute machines that are there, like real present machines, but they're almost like pets. And then there are the programs who kind of are existing in the Matrix and in the other simulated worlds, but kind of appear as ball bearings these kind of animated ball bearings so they're kind of physically there but they're not entirely physically there and I find that really interesting as well because I think the one reason why they're not storyline wise they don't have to compromise anymore because there are machine allies now before when it was humans against the machines we could never outfight them you know humans could never beat the machines the humans are always outgunned but being that there are now machine allies things have been evened out a bit more and now the compromise can be renegotiated so I think the story deals with that as well so yes i think there is a reason to go back because of how compromise is no longer an option and that's it what did i think of the film i think the film is a typical lana wachowski movie i think um, there are things about it that made me cringe and there are things about it that i really enjoyed and unlike other films that talk about nostalgia such as the new spider-man film and the new ghostbusters film i wanted to watch this the, the new matrix film immediately afterwards and watch it multiple times um, because of all the ideas that existed within it. One critique was, oh, there's lots of ideas in The Matrix, but the ideas don't go anywhere. Ideas don't have to go anywhere in a film. If it's an idea, you take it somewhere as a viewer, you know? You can be respected to deal with these ideas yourself. Um, the, the film doesn't have to lead all the ideas to their conclusion and hold your hand all the way. I liked it. I did like it. Even though I found lots of things that kind of made me go, Ugh, cringe or whatever. Um, and I won't go into detail about those, but at the same time, that's how the sequels make me feel as well. And that's even how certain bits of the original Matrix film make me feel. Um, but ultimately, there's still plenty for me and other people to enjoy. Whereas the other nostalgia films such as Ghostbusters or Spider-Man didn't need to watch them again. They were like a little theme park ride or whatever, weaponizing nostalgia to varying degrees. But did I need to revisit any of it idea wise or aesthetically or whatever? No, no. I was, you know, I consumed it. It was fine. It was like McDonald's. Actually, although sometimes I do feel like having another McDonald's, to be fair. So that's it. That was my experiment. That was my talking piece. Um, I hope the software does a good job of transcribing this because I've probably been talking for quite a long time. But I'm going to leave it there. Cheers. Have a good one. Bye bye.